better half, but thank you, Kim. <laughs> Hello, happy Monday, ladies. Wow, it's a full house. What a blessing. I love seeing all these sweet faces that are all so kind. Okay, so tonight we get to study the Song of Miriam. Uh, I hope you had a blessed time in your homework this week. Uh, Kim said earlier, and I just couldn't help but thinking, if you are reading the one-year Bible alongside of us, there was an overlap. What we were studying in our women's ministry uh, homework this week was in the one-year Bible reading. So how cool. I like that. I was like, oh, this is going to be part of my study. I like this. Okay, so um, I wanted to start out by uh, sharing with you all the title of tonight's message, and it is our victory song. So if you are a believer in Christ here tonight, you get to proclaim this song of Moses and Miriam and all that God has brought you out of in your salvation story. Hallelujah. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to read Exodus 15, verses 20. It says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Oh, I love that. I love that it's like so short. She just adds this like perfect thing alongside Moses' song, um, and there's so much depth to it. So tonight, as we look at this song of victory, we're actually going to parallel three points of Miriam's life, and we're going to look at Miriam in waiting is our first point. The second point is going to be Miriam in worship. This is her greatest life's moment. And then the third point is going to be what Miriam looked like in worry. Okay, so um, I'm going to pray one more time and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Lord, um, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us tonight, Lord. I pray that you would teach through me, and I pray, Lord, that you would minister to each one of these ladies what they need to know. And I know, Lord, that I've been personally so blessed in this study. And as we write the homework, may this just be coming alongside of that. And I pray, Lord, for fitting words for each one of these ladies, just in their lives, Lord, and all the things that they maybe don't even pray about, God. I pray, Lord, that you would answer those un, um, unspoken prayers, God. And I just thank you, Lord, that you meet us where you're at. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so we're going to start with Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And this is the story of Miriam in waiting in her early life. So who is Miriam? Um, we know that her name actually means rebellion. Okay, we're going to come back to this in point three. So keep that mental note, like keep it on the side, right? Uh, and it's also the same name that we get the name Mara from. So if you remember in the book of Ruth, Ruth's mother-in-law says, call me Mara because I'm bitter. So her name means rebellion and she's like carrying some sort of bitterness. Okay, again, we'll revisit this in point three. But um, she is the daughter of Jochebed and Amram and the sister of Aaron and Moses, right? Um, she grew up in modern-day Cairo, right? So on the map in Egypt, Cairo, um, the capital, right? She's in modern-day Cairo. And it doesn't seem that she was ever married, though um, the commentator, the historical commentator Josephus says that um, she was married to her, 
which is like the other arm bearer of Moses, because one was Aaron and the other was her. Um, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. So we just don't know. It is unlikely that she was ever married, though. So um, I like this quote. It says that Miriam is the first woman mentioned in the Bible whose interest was national and whose mission was patriotic. So she had a big role in the history of Israel. She was mightily used by God. So I want to revisit um, or kind of step back into her younger years and go to Exodus chapter 2, the story of when Moses was born and how God used Miriam in the story and how it was an integral point in Miriam's life. So I'm going to read it. It's Exodus 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. It's only eight verses. It says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, um, he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river, and her maidservants... Uh, walked alongside the riverside and when she saw the ark among the reeds she went her ma she sent her maid to get it and when she opened it she saw the child and behold the baby wept so she had compassion on him and said this is one of the hebrews children then his sister said to pharaoh's daughter shall i go and call a nurse for you from the hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you and pharaoh's daughter said to her go so the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So what an important story to look at the life and character of Miriam. So in this story, she's about 13 years old. Okay. And this story already demonstrates three things about her, that she was courageous, she was brave, and she was dependable. So her mom was like trusting her to send her to watch over her baby brother. She's like, go down to the river bank, right, and watch over him, make sure he's okay. And she had a lot of wisdom in her speech. I like the story in the part in the story where it says that um, Moses, right, was in like the bulrushes. And when Pharaoh's um, daughter took, took him out, it's so sweet to see how she knew exactly when to speak, how much to speak, not too much, not too little. But she was very wise for a 13-year-old girl. And I mean, um, this was a pretty big deal because she loved her baby brother, right? And she was probably very concerned that um, he was in danger because Pharaoh had put out an edict that any boy under the age of two would be killed. So she was watching by the riverbanks. And I like that her mom could trust her with this job, right? She's like, go down, watch over him. And she knew exactly when to open her mouth, right? Exactly when to speak. So this story kind of reminds us of the importance of waiting. So Miriam's time of waiting and faithful obedience before she is raised up to lead the women of Israel was preparing her for that job. So <clears throat> I like this quote by Thomas Adams. It says, biblical patience is not rooted in fatalism that says everything's out of control. 
It is rooted in faith that says everything is in God's control, right? So Miriam in this story is learning about God's sovereignty. She's learning and seeing how God's goodness is working itself out in their family, right? And how amazing you're 13 and you're like, my mom's sending this baby down the Nile. I don't know what's going to happen of him. Pharaoh's daughter comes out just in the nick of time to take a bath, right? Um, takes the baby out and then uses his own mother to get wages. So God provided for their family through what she would have already been doing in a dangerous situation, right? So how important it was for her to be used by God in this story. God was preparing her for her calling. So waiting is very important. And guess what the world tells us? Don't wait. The world tells us to not wait. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, wait, Snickers is one of my favorite candy bars and their whole motto is hungry? Why wait, right? <laughs> Go for it. Eat all the candy bars. Don't worry about that tummy ache that's going to come in, right? Um, or any credit card you've ever signed up for. If you've ever been like on a, any website at all, they have all these like new like paid and for payments, right? Like they have these options, like don't wait, just go for it. Get the thing now, just gratify yourself, right? Don't worry about our 23% interest rate, right? Um, just get the thing now, you, should, you shouldn't wait. But the Bible has a different story on waiting, right? The Bible, first of all, says that it rewards those who wait. Lamentations 3.25 says the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Bible also commands us to wait. It's actually a command. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It repeats it. Um, the third thing is that the Bible tells us that God does not work on our timeline. Okay. Second Peter 3, 8 says one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, Okay, you can have like two imbalanced viewpoints on this that, you know, God doesn't work on our timeline and he doesn't, okay? He really, he really doesn't. But he also was the one who created time and space. So he's aware of time and space, but he doesn't work on our timeline, okay? So um, yes, God does not work on our timeline. So there's an importance of obedience during that time of waiting. And guess what, okay? I don't know if you've ever realized, but waiting is never a one-time lesson. <laughs> I was like waiting for a really long time to be married. And then you just wait for something else, right? Like God brings that to pass and you're waiting for something else. And there's always a prayer that you're waiting to be answered. And we know, right, even in the message yesterday, John said, um, he always answers the prayer. He says, yes, no, or wait. <laughs> so wait is an answer, right? So um, there's an important lesson we learn from Miriam in her time of waiting here. Um, Zechariah 4.10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? So it's really open, important to take that daily obedience, right? The little things, and God can do anything. So <clears throat> I think it was like two summers ago, um, my boss sent me an email and he said, Hey, I need you to rewrite some of the curriculum in one of our classes. And there isn't a lot of students that takes this class, but I, I, I want you to be over it. So I remember like I reached out to Jill and I was like, Jill, can you pray for me? 
<laughs> I have to write like 100 test questions every week, and I'm really bad at writing test questions. I'm the teacher that likes the all of the above option because I couldn't think of a fourth answer, right? So, <laughs> but anyways, uh, Jill was like, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I was like, okay. So I just thought it was just this, you know, little thing that I'm writing test questions on, and it just seems like very meticulous and tedious. Well, I finished the thing, and I uh, presented it to my boss, and he's like, this is really good. I really like what you did here, right? And it wasn't me. It was the Lord, and I think God was hearing Jill's prayers, right? Um, so he answered those prayers, gave me wisdom to write what I needed to write, and then um, he's like, well, I like it so much, I want you to go and present it to all the deans. I'm like, okay, I, th I think I can do that, right? So I go present it to all the deans, and I finished that, and I was like, that was really, I was really nervous to do that. And then at the end of that presentation, um, the dean's like, I really like it. I think you should go present it to our chancellor. And I'm like, okay, that's going to make me very nervous. So I go to the chancellor, present it, and I was like, I think I've hit the end of the road here. Like, he's over the whole school, right? And he's like, I really like it. I want you to go present it to the board of trustees. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So and then it, I was like, OK, this time we're at the end of the road here with this. Right. So then he, he like I finished the presentation and then I get an email and said, oh, we really liked it. Now we want you to teach every other faculty member to do the same thing. Right. <clears throat> And I'm not sharing that because I want you to know that, but I'm sharing that because when I wrote those like meticulous test questions for two months over summer that were so hard for me to come up with, I had no idea what God was going to do with it, right? But I know that God wanted me to be faithful in what was asked of me. And I, there, all of you have so many stories of God's faithfulness, but we have to be obedient in the little thing to see what God will do with it. And maybe I would have just written those test questions and I would have never gotten any other thing with it. And that would have been fine too, right? Because ultimately it's obedience to God that's most important. So we don't ever know what God is going to do with that little step of obedience. And in this example of Miriam, we had no idea like how much God was using that obedience of her listening to her mother and going alongside her baby brother to watch him. So Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much, and he is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. So it's important to God the little things that we do. So I was thinking about all the lessons that I've personally learned in waiting. Um, and I asked my friend, Kimberly Atkinson, the same question. She said that um, wait, the wait is what builds faith, trust, and dependence. Amen, right? Um, and I know for me personally, the waiting was um, allowed God to bring up the dross of my heart. So like all that yucky stuff that's like down at the bottom of the swamp, right? Like the waiting kind of drains that swamp of my heart, right? And brings up all that yucky stuff to clean out. And that's what God did. It also, I think, caused like an invaluable gratitude in my heart for things. So um, I told my husband I was going to share this story just to make sure <laughs> it's okay. But um, I um, spent a long time um, living on my own with uh, several different women, right? We were like roommates. It was fun. It was a great time. And um, the one thing I hated to do that always somehow was my job was throwing out the bags of trash. And when you live in an apartment complex, you're not just putting the trash in like 
in the trash bin, you're like going out 10 buildings over. Yeah, anyone who's lived in an apartment to the dumpster, right? And they'd give you like, oh, you can throw out like one bag in front, we'll come collect it, or two bags. But anything over that, you know, you got to go to the dumpster in the front, like 10 buildings over. And I'm like, well, I don't want to put the trash bags in my car, so I guess I'll walk it over. So I just like, for years, Kim was responsible for throwing out my own trash and all the trash of my girl roommates, right? And I remember like when I get married, uh, I got married and like that first time where John's like, no, no, I'll get the trash. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> but literally, if I didn't have seven years of throwing out that trash, nothing would have made me feel personally grateful for that trash. And every time he's like, I'll get the trash, honey, I'm like, I love you. Thank you. I'm just getting visions of me at Ivana Point in Fort Worth, like carrying bags of trash, like 10 buildings over and back. And I was like, I think I need a shower. I'm smelly now. <laughs> yeah. So there's something about waiting that just makes you like so grateful for things that you would never be without it. Right. And this is a lesson to be learned over and over, not a one-time lesson. So I thought I'd just make like 10 things, 10 stories of the Bible, um, of, of characters of the Bible who had to wait. And these were the 10 things, the 10 first things that came to mind. And I want to say 10 of many stories of the Bible of waiting. So one, Adam waits for a wife. Two, Abraham waits for the birth of Isaac. Three, Moses waits 40 years in the desert of Midian. Four, Ruth has to wait for Boaz to officiate their marriage. That's stressful. David waits to become king. Esther, Esther waits to become queen. Seven, Anna the prophetess waits for the coming of the Messiah. Eight, Paul spends three years waiting in Arabia after getting saved to begin his ministry. Nine, John the apostle waits in exile on Patmos. And ten, we await the rapture of the church. Amen? Amen. Yes. Okay, so a lot of important things happened when Miriam was waiting, but I want to now look at what happened when Miriam was worshiping. Okay, so Exodus 15, back to our song, our victory song. And um, this is an important passage of scripture, and we can say this is one of the greatest moments of Miriam's life. Miriam in worship, Exodus 15, 20, and 21. So this is the first woman of the Bible to be called a prophetess, okay? Um, the Blue Letter Bible, if you go to their concordance, it says in Hebrew, the word prophetess is neviah, okay? Which just means in this context of Miriam, she's endowed with a gift of song. So by definition, a prophetess is generally an inspired woman, a poetess, or a prophet's wife. So I like this definition also, um, and I quote, Prophetess are those raised up by God and inspired by His Spirit to proclaim the will and purpose of God. So she is proclaiming here in song the will and purpose of God. She's called to assist her brothers. I like that in Micah 6, 4, when God is pleasing, pleading with the nation of Israel, he says this, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He includes Miriam in that list. How sweet is that? Um, and God had a big role for her. So we see Miriam here um, 40 years, 40 and more years after that Nile story, right? So it's a long time after. She's a prominent figure of Israel. 
She's giving thanks to Jehovah, and she's proclaiming his victory um, for the nation of Israel to come out of bondage. So we also want to note that the song of Miriam is just an extension of the song of Moses. So she's like coming alongside of her brother. It's a victory song, and it proclaims the work of God, bringing them out of bondage, as we said. So um, the song of Moses is the first song in the Bible, and it is the last song we will sing. I like that. So it is referenced multiple times in the Bible. In Isaiah 12, it says that we will sing the song of Moses in the millennial kingdom. In Psalm 118, it says that Israel sang the song of Moses in Babylonian captivity. And then in Revelation 15, verses 2 to 4, it says that this song will be sung by the tribulation saints in heaven. So it sounds like an important song, right? Um, and here's the pinnacle of the whole thing as we watch these like two verses of song by Miriam in worship. Miriam here is at her best because she is exalting God in where he needs to be right? He is exalting God. She's exalting God on the throne. She's giving him praise. And what is she doing? She's bringing herself low. She's bringing God high. And this is where she's at her peak, right? Praising God, putting him on the throne and bringing Miriam low, herself low. So John the Baptist um, says that he, meaning God, must increase, but I must decrease in John 3.30. So her heart is full of exaltation. She has fresh courage and a new hope as she watches the Israelites pass through the Red Sea, right? So we see Miriam at her best, okay? The third point we're going to finish with is Miriam in worry, and this is actually at her worst. So in Numbers 12, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to like paraphrase the story, but you can read it at home. Um, the story is that Miriam here, um, about 40, uh, a little bit in the wilderness time later, she comes against her brother Moses, okay? So she tells Moses that um, she doesn't like his wife. She has like some sort of problem with Moses's wife, and um, she comes against Moses, and God comes to Moses's defense. So we see Miriam at her worst. Why? Because she's actually trying to exalt herself above God. So it's like the antithesis of what she did when she was wor worshiping is in worship, she was putting God on the throne. And now in worry, she's putting herself on the throne, right? She's taking God off the throne. Um, and that's that's part of the problem. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Um, I remember I went to a communication conference. This was a few years ago, maybe like four or five years ago. And a friend of mine from California was visiting. They had the conference in Dallas. And I went to visit her. And then they had this like big meeting, you know. And I sat in there and they had all these like head honchos of feminists, the ones that write the feminist textbook. And they did like a panel discussion with them. And someone raised their hand and asked the feminist, like, well, don't we want to be equal with men? And the lady says, no, we want to be above them. 
right? And I was like, there it is, right? The fall of man. At least she admitted it, right? Like, like that she wasn't wanting to be equal. Like she was being honest and saying, no, I want to be above them. And this is what we see in Miriam, like a picture of the fall. She is exalting herself above Moses. She wants a more prominent position than Moses. And really it's re- above God, right? Moses is just the the picture, the person, right, that we see. Um, So she does claim it's because the quote, and I quote, the Ethiopian woman whom Moses married, but we know that wasn't the real issue because God calls it out. So God looked into her heart and perceived that the real cause of her agitation wasn't Moses's wife. How would you like to be Moses's wife? You're like, oh my goodness, my sister-in-law is so upset with me. but it had nothing to do with her. She was just like the face of the problem, right? Have you ever been in like uh, like a kerfuffle with someone and you're like, you're really mad at me because of blah, 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 right? Like there might be more to the story here. <laughs> um, but yes, Miriam was envying Moses and her heart lacked genuine humility and contentment. So she became jealous of Moses's prominent, prominence. George Eliot states, one of the torments of jealousy is that it can never turn away its eyes from the thing that pains it. Isn't that true? Right? So I thought I'd give you a a little bit of a comparison because I'm like, okay, I don't know when's the last time I visited the definitions and the difference between jealousy, envy, and covetousness. So we're going to look at that and how they differentiate. So being jealous is to be worried or afraid that someone else is taking the love or attention that one has or wants. So I'm going to sum that up so it's easier to write, okay? It's the fear of loss. It's the fear of loss. So you feel like something's going to be taken away. So jealousy is the fear of loss, okay? Envy is disliking someone who has something or a quality that you don't have. So this is when you don't want someone to have something they have been given. You don't necessarily want it, right, for yourself, but you don't want them to have it either, right? You're like, well, I don't want the toy, right, but I don't want them to have it either. (laughs) And then covetousness is when you want the thing for yourself, right? So those are the difference. Jealousy is the fear of loss. Envy is like you don't want them to have the thing, but you don't want it. And covetousness is you want it for yourself. So what is the point of this story? What do we learn from Miriam in this ugly picture, right? Is that it's very relatable, okay? Especially as women. Um, Someone once told me that like most Bible characters are going to struggle with one of two things, right? Anger or jealousy. Like, you know, you have a problem with either or or more so than the other. But here we see obviously Miriam struggling with jealousy. And I think the biggest application that we make is that when you are aware of jealousy in your heart, like just catching it and repenting of it quickly, okay? The goal of it is it's not that it's alarming to God that we feel jealous, okay? It's not alarming to God that we feel envious of people or covet, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. He said it because he knows we're going to do it. Don't covet, number 10, right? But the point is don't, like feed it 
and don't fester it, right? Like I, I hear people like my students will randomly tell me like, I was Facebook stalking this person, Miss Bell. And I'm like, well, like don't be preoccupied with that, right? <laughs> like you don't want to feed your jealousy. You don't want to harbor it. You don't want to sit in it. Don't replay it in your mind over and over and over again and why it makes you mad or why you don't have that thing or God hasn't given it to you, right? Um, that's that's real. the real problem here, right? Is like festering it, feeding our flesh, right? But it's really just recognizing, hey, I felt jealous of this. Um, I felt envious in this situation. God, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me in my heart for feeling that way toward this thing? Would you help me be content, right? Like those quick repentance prayers in our hearts to the Lord when we recognize that that's in our heart. And sometimes we don't know that that's the root of it. Like maybe Miriam like told herself enough times she was annoyed at Moses's wife that she really believed the problem was Moses's wife. But God's like, no, no, the real problem is that you're jealous of Moses, right? So sometimes like we have to ask the Lord, like show me my heart in this, show me like my true nature in this. And if there's any wicked way in me, right, may I repent of that, right? And God can help you do that. So I love Moses's response in this story, okay? My complete instinct would be, I just got to talk to Miriam and explain to her what the situation is, right? No, Moses doesn't say a thing. He lets God be his defender. He doesn't explain his position. He doesn't explain his calling to his own sister. He just loves her and lets God be his defense. Isn't that amazing, right? So what does God do? He says, okay, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses come to the tabernacle of meeting. I need to talk to you, right? And he talks to them. And what happens, right? She gets leprosy, right? She's punished. And by the way, it says that Miriam and Aaron, like both came against Moses. But um, most Bible commentators agree that Aaron followed Miriam because her name is listed first and she's the one that got punished, right? So she gets leprosy. And the crazy thing is that the whole camp of Israel is held back for seven days because she has leprosy, because she was jealous and she didn't like repent and handle it right, right? So she had seven days to think about it. That's a long time when you're all alone, right? Um, and I love Moses's response. Moses prays for his sister to be healed and she comes back in the camp. But you know what's so crazy? In that word, it says that the whole camp of Israel couldn't go anywhere until Moses, until Miriam came back into the camp, right? They all had to wait for her. And this is a newsflash is that when we sin and when we're sitting in our sin, Okay, it affects the whole body of Christ. It hurts the whole body of Christ. It holds back the whole body of Christ. So the sooner we repent, the better it is, right? Um, so how much better would it have been for Miriam to support and pray for her brother, right? Um, I always think that, right? I had no idea how many things happen on Saturdays when John's studying and Sunday's on the way here, right? Or on Wednesdays. And guess what? I'm sure the same thing happens to everyone in this room. Like all of a sudden, like 
a practical bomb going off in your kitchen on Wednesdays and you're like, I'm never going to make it, right? Or Mondays, you're like, this crazy thing happened, couldn't have this waited, right? It's because the devil doesn't want you to hear God's word, right? He doesn't want you in fellowship, right? Because that is the staple of our church. So how much better it is, right, for us to pray on those moments, to pray for our leadership, especially as they're teaching the word. So I want to finish with this. The last time after this that we see Miriam is in Numbers chapter 20. And in verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So this is likely the 40th year in the wilderness. So she never went into the promised land. She died in year 40, right? Um, And the Bible is completely silent if she ever was used in between that time where she was plagued and until her death, right? We don't know. We don't know. But I was kind of sad thinking about that. I'm like, was she not used? What happened, right? Like, but I was just thinking about, ultimately, she gave us the, that song of Moses, right? That extension of the song of Moses. But it's really the song of the Lamb, the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. And that's what we remember her by. Like, she was at her best because she was exalting the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. And what a great memory of Miriam exalting God. So um, I'm going to conclude by this wonderful poem. It says, my father has need of the birds and the flowers and a place for each beautiful tree. And so I am sure in his wonderful plan, there is a place and mission for me. So wherever I go and all that I do, I crave a clear vision to see my place in my father's own wondrous plan my task and his blessing for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing study in Miriam. Lord, you have taught us so much and there's still so much to glean. And I just am so excited to get into group time and hear what all the other ladies gleaned also, Lord, things that you showed them personally in their own walks. So we just pray and thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your word and we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we proclaim the song of the lamb and we pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. That was so good. I always love it when uh, Kim and Tamar teach. I'm always overwhelmed. So it's so good. Well, overwhelmed in a good way. Like, how do they do that? It's so good. Um, No, really, it's a good overwhelming. Um, I love that we are victorious in waiting and worship and being selfless. Don't worry, be happy. And um, I was thinking about um, waiting, and um, I don't, it's difficult to wait, and Tamar really did a brilliant job on describing that. And um, I think the hardest time for me to wait is when I want to defend myself or argue or say my side, uh, feel mad or def- um, just any of that. And so the best thing that I can do is if I go for a walk and get out of the situation, go, go away, and then I just thank the Lord, even if it's, thank you that I stubbed my toe, thank you. Today, the lady at Aldi was mean to me, so I'm going to drive home going... <laughs> Thank you that the lady at Aldi was mean to me because I know I'm going to learn something and it's probably my hormones. So um, anyway, uh, you know, Kim asked me to talk about memorizing scripture. So I just want you to know that um, years ago, a dear, dear, sweet lady said she, and 
I know I've shared this before. She used to memorize scripture and uh, go to a conference once a year where the whole, um, sometimes it would just be like the Psalms and the Proverbs, it would all be quoted from memory. And each person would take a chapter. And this one particular time, and sometimes they would do Old Testament or New Testament. And she had memorized Psalm 16. And she said, it changed my life. And I thought, well, I want that. And I, it's kind of befuddling to me that everybody else didn't think the same thing. Because, like, why didn't other people want to memorize it if it changed her life? That was sort of strange to me. So um, am I just the weird one? So um, we have the easiest psalm. It's five verses. And I'm challenging you because it will change your life. And this is a really easy one to do. And when you memorize, what it does is it changes synapses in your brain. So if, if you are thinking about, how can I get a Stanley Cup? That's going to change that. Um, I'm always amazed that people say, I can't wait to get my next tattoo. You know, and just these little things, these things that people want, you know, and um, it's marketing. And, she, and Tamar talked about, you know, social media a little bit. But there's, there's a thing out there. We need to change this. So when you memorize scripture, it does. It changes that whole thing. It, it, it flips it around. It's especially effective if you're struggling with um, addiction, anger issues, or depression. It pulls you out of that, and it gets your brain thinking on a whole different level. So here's what happened. I went to Psalm 100, and it said, make a sh joyful shout to the Lord, all you lambs. And I wanted to, there's some, some of the praises, they get intermixed, and I wanted to say praise where it's supposed to be, and I wanted to say thanksgiving, and thanksgiving's not in there. And so, um, so what I do is make comes easy. I know it starts with make. So you just go make. Now what comes next? So what I did is I find key letters. So um, a lot of times I use names. And y'all, sometimes if I know your first and last name, I might use your name. So I'll go. So like, for instance, I've used my son. Uh, his name is Chase Palmer. And I, I did once memorize Psalm uh, 19. And in, this, in Psalm 19, there's a part where it talks about the laws and the commandments. And I was having a trouble keeping them in order. So I said... Uh, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So guess what I did? Commandment of the Lord is pure. See, C and P. So you find the two words that, that strike you, and then the rest of it fills in. Does that make sense? So we go, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Now, so if you make a joyful came easy to me. If joyful's hard, you're going to start with a J. So for me, I used S because I couldn't get shout. I don't know why. I wanted to say make a joyful noise. Mm -hmm. I kept wanting to say noise. Yeah. So I had to go S. So I went S, G, S. So I go make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. And that's where I wanted to put Thanksgiving again. Uh -huh. So I had to go S, G. It would be Sarah Greer. <laughs> So now you all know, see, that's going to stick with you. And so you're going to go S, G, and then it went S again. So I went, uh, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. And then I had S again, come before his presence with singing. So then I can fill it in. Next thing you know, you got verse 1 and 2. So what you do is you go over it. If you can write it, say it, it takes you four I, it, to just do these two verses, I don't even know if it takes two minutes. You close it, and you're going to say it again. And then what I do is I go walk my dog, 
and I say it while I'm walking my dog. And then I, get, I try to challenge myself to see if I can get verse 3. But, so if you can get verse 1 and 2, you're on the road, and it's just three more. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to change this, and you're going to say, this is the best Bible study ever. 